Hello and Happy New Year! The Explaining Brazil podcast is back for 2022 and I've got an invitation for you. We at The Brazilian Report have launched an in-depth report telling you everything you need to know to prepare yourself for this year in Brazil. You might already know that Brazil will elect a new president in October and there are several other issues you should be aware of, such as the impacts of China's recent transformations on Brazil, the extreme climate events that will affect Brazilian agriculture, the state of congressional elections, and which way the economy is likely to go. You can purchase the report on our website and all of our listeners can enjoy a special 22% discount. Just use the promo code EXPLAINING22. Now, let's begin the show. Civil servants are an influential group in Brazil. At municipal, state and federal levels, public servants add up to around 11 million people, meaning that roughly one in 10 of Brazil's electorate works for the state. Besides being numerous, they are also highly organized. Civil servants' unions are among the strongest lobbies in Brasilia, and President Jair Bolsonaro is well aware of that fact. It is no coincidence that he always sought to cater to the group's interests during his decades as a congressman. But now as president, Bolsonaro has managed to alienate Brazil's civil servants, with many of them threatening to hold a general strike at the end of January. If government employees stop working, that could lead to a shutdown. Bad news for any president at any moment, but catastrophic during an election year. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Ewan Marshall, hello and Happy New Year. Hi Gustavo, uh, happy 2022 to you too and to all of our listeners. So Ewan, what's the beef between Bolsonaro and Brazil's civil servants? Well, right at the end of 2021, the tax auditors from Brazil's Federal Revenue Service, they went on strike to try and force the government to grant them a raise. And around 93% of branch leaders joined the movement and stepped down from their roles. And now public servants from other government agencies are starting to follow suit. So federal employees working in the areas of the planning and budget departments, they decided to stage a walkout on January 18th. They're joining members of a union which is representing workers from 37 different government sectors, and all of them are basically demanding better pay. So, I mean, tension between governments and civil servants, that's nothing new. And we do see isolated strikes here and there, but it is quite rare to see such widespread discontent. And let's remember that federal civil servants were in Bolsonaro's corner during the 2018 election, right? How did that relationship sour? Well, in basic terms, you know, Brazil has been cash-strapped for quite a while. And civil servants are complaining that they've lost purchasing power due to the country's double-digit inflation rates. You know, which is true because everyone in Brazil has lost purchasing power in recent years. And, you know, we've written extensively about that on the website. But things reached boiling point late last year when Bolsonaro promised to raise the wages of all civil servants. Eu conversei com o Paulo Guedes, em passando a PEC do precatório, tem que ter um pequeno espaço para dar algum reajuste. Não é o que eles merecem, mas é o que nós podemos dar. Essa... So at the time, the government was trying to get Congress to pass a constitutional amendment bill, which would allow it to cap its court-ordered debt repayments, which is like a sort of IOU bond, known in Brazil as uh, precatórios. 
So passing that bill, the government would be able to free up some budget space. And this money was meant to be used to finance welfare programmes, but Bolsonaro didn't want to miss the opportunity to pander to what is an important constituency for him. Which is very much in line with the president's MO, right? He promises something he can deliver and then blames his failure on nefarious political forces or what Trump called the deep state in the US. Yeah, and in this case, he had a he had a perfect way out because lawmakers wanted to use part of the money to pay for budgetary grants, which are these are like chunks of the budget which politicians are allowed to earmark towards specific projects in their own constituencies. Um, and as we've shown on the Brazilian report, these projects often have a massive influence on local elections. So members of Congress are extremely protective of their grants. So what went wrong for Bolsonaro? Well, basically, the president couldn't help himself. He negotiated a way to squeeze a raise for federal police officers into the 2022 budget. Now, of course, that is 100% on brand for Bolsonaro, as since he took office, he's always given more perks to the armed forces and security forces more than any other president. And many in Brasilia think this is a ploy to cajole the police forces in the army, essentially buying their support. Because, as multiple sources told us last year, there's some level of fear among Supreme Court justices and lawmakers that if Bolsonaro loses the election in October, he'll try to sort of barricade himself in office and pull a stunt similar to what Trump did in the U.S. with the Stop the Steel rallies and everything like that. Yeah, and so from that standpoint of kind of securing his positions on the chessboard, you know, that it was a move that made sense for Bolsonaro. But the problem is, is that he'd initially promised raises to all civil servants. And then by benefiting only the federal police officers, he ended up alienating everyone else. First it was the tax auditors, and then it was the employees at the central bank, and, you know, so on. And all of these people are people who are complaining that their salaries have basically remained stagnant since 2017. And what have been the initial consequences of this civil servant rebellion? Well, I mean, so far, the the matter has really kind of flown under the radar a bit because the news cycle is dominated by other events, such as, you know, the spread of the Omicron variant in Brazil, these extreme weather events that we're seeing, and, you know, President Bolsonaro's health. Um, but the issue is beginning to snowball. Because at Brazil's main ports, customs clearances is, you know, it's happening at a snail's pace. And that's caused losses, which are in the dozens of millions of dollars every single day. And fuel importers are fearing that the slowdown could create fuel shortages in the near future. And that, that would push inflation up even higher and angering voters further. I mean, most of whom already seem to have turned against Bolsonaro. And the problem with handing out raises is that Once one group is benefited, then all the rest wants to get the same perks in a sort of domino effect. State police unions have already begun putting pressure on governors to get races of their own, right? And if the federal government is cash-strapped, I don't even know what you would call state finances, which have been depleted for many, many years. Yeah, and when you talk about the threat of police strikes in Brazil, you know, that's always been a particular worry in the country because in recent years, whenever we've seen officers down tools, even if just for a couple of days, we've also seen awful scenes of like criminal rampages. The violence began on Friday after police went on a strike because of a pay dispute. As many as 60 people have reportedly been killed over the weekend. You know, no one wants that, not at least politicians who are running for re-election. 
And, as you say, state finances simply don't allow them to offer raises to civil servants. But 14 of the 16 governors who are standing for re-election have already promised salary increases to their state employees. And, from a budgetary standpoint, public servants are a costlier burden to state-level administrations. 11 out of 27 states in Brazil spend over 60% of their budgets just on salaries and pensions. And that's above the limit which is set out by fiscal responsibility laws. And Ewan, every time we see this kind of pressure from civil servants, there's always talk that these workers are well off and should stop complaining, especially at a time when hunger is on the rise and Brazilians are fighting for scraps in everyday life. Yeah, so federal civil servants are easily among the richest 5% in Brazil, especially those that work for the justice system, which is where you know you get your highest paychecks. But not all of the public service jobs are created equally. Uh, because federal servants, as an example, they earn twice as much as private workers on average. You know, that's a massive gap. But it's not the same for state or municipal level civil servants. So the people who are working for states, they earn just 8% more than their private sector counterparts on average, while municipal civil servants actually earn 1% less than private workers. So when people are criticizing the demands of civil servants, they're usually kind of referring to the 1.2 million people who are working for the federal government, not the other 10 million. And what's interesting is that Brazil has proportionally fewer civil servants than the average of OECD countries. And, you know, over the past 20 years, the country's seen an explosion of municipal level servants, while those at the state and federal levels have remained somewhat, you know, stable. And a trend, you know, that's the result of a decentralization process with municipalities being given more responsibilities over public policies. But in the end, the money remains concentrated among a small group of government workers. Yeah, perhaps that's why not long ago, 43% of middle class Brazilians dreamed of becoming a civil servant. Yeah, and this led to a billion-dollar industry basically preparing students for these civil service entrance exams. You know, it's got a whole economy of its own. You know, there's courses, publishers, blogs, you know, and there's even kind of specialized press. And oftentimes being approved in these exams, you know, has less to do with intellectual capacity and more to do with discipline and practice. And perhaps the biggest spurk in government jobs outside of salaries is the ironclad job stability, which is a real bonus during the time of high unemployment. But didn't the government propose putting an end to that? What happened there? Well, the Bolsonaro administration had proposed a civil service reform, uh, which contained you know, many positive aspects. One of them would allow civil servants to be punished if they deviate from their duties. Because as things stand, public workers can only lose their jobs by way of court orders or strict disciplinary processes. And, you know, to put that into perspective, just around 7,500 civil servants have been dismissed in Brazil since 2003, mainly due to, you know, involvement with corruption. But, you know, going back to the civil service reform, it never prospered, mainly because President Bolsonaro never really fought for it. As a matter of fact, he actively boycotted it whenever he could because, you know, the strategy was quite simple. He would draw up a reform to please the markets and then he would sabotage it in Congress to please the civil servants. Not necessarily the best for the country, but certainly clever for his own interests. After the break, a historical perspective on civil servant lobbies. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
As you know, the Brazilian Report is an independent news outlet that lives off subscriptions. So you can support our independence by choosing one of our plans for the best content about Brazil in English. And if you have already subscribed, then you can also buy us a coffee with a small donation starting at $4 and going up to whatever your budget and your heart allows, you can help us refill our coffee mugs to continue covering Brazil. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. Buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. We're back with Andrea Pagliarini, an assistant professor of history at Hampton Sydney College in Virginia. He used to teach Latin American history and is currently preparing a book manuscript on the politics of nationalism in 20th century Brazil. André, Happy New Year and thanks for joining us again. So tell us, you wrote about the public service crisis on the Brazilian report. And how did civil servants become such a powerful lobbying force in Brazil? Well, I think one important historical moment to think about is the Vargas era. In 1930, Getulio Vargas uh, comes to power in Brazil through uh, a violent means overthrowing the First Republic and is widely considered to have, from that point on, begun to lay the groundwork for modern Brazil, modern, bureau the modern bureaucracy, uh, modern relations between the state and labor unions. So that's one moment. And then, you know, some uh, 60 years later, you have Fernando Henrique Cardoso being inaugurated president and telling Congress that he intended to end the Vargas era, uh, by which he meant, in part, uh, readjusting the way the state handled its duties, the way the state carried out its functions. And he eventually, over the course of his term, raised the ire of civil servants, who over the course of the 20th century became a very powerful force in uh, the federal government and really in Brazilian life, because these are very, by comparison in Brazil, very good jobs, very important jobs, jobs with a lot of responsibility. And I'm referring to jobs across the federal bureaucracy. They're stable jobs. Uh, they're usually well remunerated. Um, and so there is a lot of power of influence that these uh, workers have. Um, and that's been very difficult for politicians to contest over the years. Now, in his campaign, Bolsonaro promised to face lobbies, but he's bending the knee to civil servants and trying to co-opt them with pay raises, just like the politicians he was so critical of. How do you explain this U-turn? And I mean, I don't even know if we can say U-turn because he never went against them once he was inaugurated as president. One of the reasons to me that this is a key point is because I have plenty of family members, this is an anecdotal point, but who said in 2018 that they did not like Bolsonaro, they found him repellent, but that he seemed serious about tackling the size of the Brazilian government. That if nothing else, he seemed serious about shrinking the size of the federal workforce, which consumes a very sizable amount of uh, you know, the, the country's uh, uh, finances. And so that this seemed like one promise he might actually keep. Um, and as you said, he hasn't really. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, Uh, promises that he made in, e in the economic sphere that just has not happened. In fact, now we're seeing somewhat the opposite, that he's sort of uh, buying into the logic of using pay raises um, as a political device. And as I write in the column, there's a part of this that I think is well within the normal bounds of politics in Brazil. Over the course of the 20th century, as I noted, it became routine for 
you know, presidents and, 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 and others to advocate for pay increases, not only because it makes sense, you know, to uh, pay workers well, to remunerate them well, to attract a qualified workforce, but also in an election year to garner some, some, some good favor. And Bolsonaro, the reason that uh, what, what he's talking about now, I argue, raises some alarm is that by singling out security forces for a pay raise, if there's not enough money for everybody to get a pay raise, well, then only security forces. Within the context of his career, which is to call into question democratic processes, which is to suggest that the uh, military regime was not uh, authoritarian enough, that I think is concerning in, in an election year that is expected to be incredibly tense incredibly uh, emotional and passionate on the on either side, um, I think there is some cause for concern about the instrumentalization of security forces. Now, Bolsonaro was criticized by the Workers' Party for his promise to give raises to civil servants in an electoral year. But isn't that a bit rich coming from the party? Because Lula and Dilma Rousseff, they did do something similar to that when they were in office, didn't they? How, how do their actions compare to Bolsonaro's? Yeah, part of those in Bolsonaro's circle are arguing now, are honestly, probably with some justification, that this latest agitation among federal workers who are saying, if we don't get a pay raise, uh, they're threatening a strike. They're arguing that this is being stoked by unions and otherwise, you know, uh, other federal workers sympathetic to Lula and the Workers' Party. That, in fact, they are the ones playing politics uh, here. Very frankly, that's certainly plausible. That's certainly, you know, likely even um, in an election year. And this is why I, I noted that there's some aspect of what's going on with this that is not unprecedented. Um, I think the Workers' Party did use pay raises for workers in general and federal workers specifically as part of a governing strategy. Now, the generous read of that, which I, I talk a little bit about in, in the piece, is that there's this is part of the Workers' Party sort of governing strategy and vision for Brazil, that, you know, in a country as poor and unequal, the state, yes, needs to be large. It needs to have a lot of workers doing a lot of different things in different areas of national life, and that that costs money. Um, and there's no way around that, that to attract a qualified workforce, you need to pay them well, give them what's called the plano de carreira, you know, of uh, possibility of promotions and, and, and all of that, uh, to compete with the private sector. Um, and so I, I do think that there is one way of reading this debate now between the Workers' Party, and in particular the president of the Workers' Party, Glazy Hoffman, specifically questioned the motives of Bolsonaro. There's one way to read that as, I think, um, there is something to what Bolsonaro and his, and his uh, allies are arguing, that this is disingenuous of the Workers' Party at this moment. But there's also an argument to make that, look, this is you know just not part of the agenda that Bolsonaro was elected on. Um, and it was never something that the Workers' Party shied away from. They always said, yes, we, we need to expand the size of the state. Um, so there are two different, I guess, sort of levels at which this debate is happening. Now, Andrea, one thing that puzzles me is that far left and even center left parties, they fight tooth and nail to keep the privileges that are bestowed upon civil servants, but especially federal civil servants. And those are easily among the top 5% richest Brazilians. I mean, isn't that contradictory that um, parties that defend social justice are defending privileges to a small cast of workers. This is why I think this is a recurring issue. This has been a recurring issue for decades in Brazil, because there is a kernel of truth to the argument that the federal workforce enjoys benefits and enjoys a kind of stability 
that is to the point of excess. I mean, the salaries of federal judges, for example, should scandalize everybody, uh, right, left, center, because as we've been discussing, in a country with the kind of disparities of Brazil, as a question of basic social justice and fairness, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense for judges to be making, you know, to be among some of the highest paid uh, workers in the country. Federal judges, they enjoy uh, two months of vacation time. And even if they're caught with the hand in the cookie jar, the worst that can happen to them is forced retirement with full benefits. Yeah, so th I, I do agree that, th that this is it's a, it's a scandal. It should scandalize everybody. The challenge, and I, I, I do think, you know, there is an opening here for political forces on the left and the right to make an, an issue of this, which is to say, look, as an issue of basic fairness, we need to take on the, the, the incredibly high salaries of judges, of politicians themselves, of Congress people who are allowed all kinds of cabinet you know, uh, uh, assistance and aides and all of this. But the challenge, the political challenge, is that then you are engaging in a battle over the political balance of forces, right? So by poking the hornet's nest of the federal judiciary, are you down the road setting yourself up for uh, really unfavorable uh, you know, uh, debates later on. The same is true with the military. If you are a president who comes in, you know, with a lot of public support and say, I'm going to challenge these excess benefits for the widows of, you know, generals or their, you know, the, the, their descendants who died many years ago, they still get pensions. You're picking a fight that could be a, a, an incredibly difficult uh, one um, and I think many politicians reason it's just not worth it. It's not worth the political struggle, um, even if it is something that I think uh, you know a populist president on the left or the right could make a lot of hay out of. And it's one. And I think the Bolsonaro case is instructive. He came in promising to tackle the federal workforce and the lobbies, and instead he's used the you know federal largesse to bring the military and 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 and, and the federal police closer to him by lavishing them with all kinds of extra uh, money for which reports say they've used for, let's just say, uh, non-military expenses, right? Lobster and all these, these crazy things. Um, so absolutely, this is a, a real political issue, the remuneration uh, for federal work for federal employees. Um, again, this is the, the point that, that I make when I say that this is a legitimate uh, political issue. This is something that is part of the political game. And I don't know that anybody has figured out how to, in the long term, take on these entrenched, really powerful forces. And I do think on the left, there is room, there is cause to take this on. And I agree, it's not a priority. It doesn't seem to be. Now, the new Omicron variant surge has led some of Bolsonaro's allies to ask him to give up on offering any sort of raise to any federal workers whatsoever, even police officers. Because if coronavirus restrictions return and if hospitals get overburdened, the government may need to send more money to states and municipalities, which would in turn leave even less money for salaries. But police unions say that at this point, a U-turn from the president would be seen as treason by them. So how important is this for Bolsonaro to keep police forces on his side? And I mean, what's at stake for him? I think even Bolsonaro's closest allies would argue, would 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 uh, concede that he is not the most deft. He is not the most skillful politician, and this is a situation that requires a great deal of tact and negotiation, because in a way he has backed himself into a corner here by saying, 
first that everyone will get a raise. And then when the budget reality sets in, well, okay, well, then only this segment of workers, federal workers, the security forces. And now in recent days, as you said, the report said, well, then nobody gets a raise. If it's going to cause this threat of a strike, then nobody gets a raise. Um, and it, I don't see Bolsonaro and those around him having the ability to calm these tensions right now. Because, uh, you know, the economy is not doing well. Inflation is high. Uh, federal workers, like anybody else, are trying to see if they can get a raise. And I, I think that the, the, the threat of a strike um, is a real one. And it would have a real powerful effect over the national economy and really uh, hurt Bolsonaro politically. Now, I think it's, it's worth considering uh, in this debate Bolsonaro's trajectory as a politician. I mean, he really came to public prominence in his first run in, in, in Rio decades ago as a spokesman for the everyman uh, of the security forces, the police officer, firefighters, that they deserved better pay, they deserved better working conditions. This is really in his bones as a politician. Um, and so I think what, we'll like, what we're likely to see as this crisis develops uh, potentially is are tensions between Bolsonaro himself and his economic team, those who are saying, we just cannot afford to do this. And Bolsonaro sensing uh, that it's what he wants to do, that he thinks that these people deserve to be better paid. But also, crucially, in an election year, if it's close, I think he will reason that it doesn't hurt to have security forces pleased with him. Um, and so I think that this is a fight that will continue uh, within Bolsonarista circles about who gets raises and why. So you're saying that we could see Bolsonaro leading the picket line. I, I, I honestly, I, I could imagine uh, a situation, and it's unlikely, but I could imagine security forces um, angrily demanding uh, raises in the streets and Bolsonaro sensing an opportunity and being right there with them saying i want to do it i want to do it but it's not going to pass it's not gonna, you know in other words using this disaffection among federal workers to try to reposition himself as an outsider uh to say that you know all these forces are arrayed against me which is it boggles the mind but i do think given where the polls stand today it's a play that bolsonaro not only will try to make it might be his only play which is to reassert himself as an outsider against these forces in Brasilia that he has been unable to change, namely the lobby of federal employees and federal workers, uh, and then Congress. So I think that what we're likely to see in 2022 as the election campaign heats up is Bolsonaro's attempt to rekindle that 2018 persona. Andre Pagliarini is an assistant professor of history at Hampton Sydney College in Virginia, Thanks for joining us, and once again, Happy New Year. My pleasure. I always enjoy talking about this stuff with you, Gustavo, so thank you. If you like Explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second, and it will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Yeah.